0: Philip has asked me to read from Psalms 119. From 153 through 160, Psalms 119. Look unto my suffering and deliver me, for I have not forgotten your law. Defend my cause and redeem me, Preserve my life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek out your decrees. Your compassion, Lord, is great. Preserve my life according to your laws. Many are the foes who persecute me, but I have not turned from your statues. I look on the faithfulness and loathing, with loathing, for they do not obey your word. See, Lord, how I love your precepts. Preserve my life, Lord, in accordance with your love. All of your words are true. All of your righteous laws are eternal.
1: Bill is thankful that we didn't choose to read the entire chapter. That's a great psalm. I hope you. And one of the challenges for today will be for all of us to spend some more time in that psalm. There's a lot in there. It's really, really good. Isn't it great to be assembled together as family today to worship God? It is so good to be here, and it's so good that you're here. If you're visiting uh, today, I hope that you'll stick around. This is a wonderful church family, and so we're glad that you're here. Uh, Over the next several weeks, Lord willing, we want to think about some lessons that will cause us to focus on some of the attributes of God, asking the question, what about God? and Now the light's on. How about that? Should I go back to the beginning? Thank you, Don. I appreciate that. Uh, speaker error. I'm sorry. Okay. We won't start all the way over. But think back. The earth, we, people believed it was flat. And it never had been, never was. It was actually round the whole time. And so later we found out better information. Sometimes maybe it was a purposeful hoax that we believed. Uh, maybe it was that, that email that we read and we were shedding tears or just about to. And then we found out it was a hoax or it was urban legend, something that had grown and just wasn't true at all. I was reading a story within just not too awful long ago and I'd read about this preacher's wife. She'd gotten a little uh, frustrated and a little dissatisfied and she found somebody that looked a lot like her and was paying this other woman $100 a service to sit in her place as a look-alike. And I'm reading that and I'm thinking, well, people are crazy. And then I realized it was satire. And I was just about to fall into the trap of believing what I was reading. And then there are some areas of knowledge that, that the truth is just constantly on. the. We, we can't get a grip on it. Now, coffee, I've decided, because we can't decide whether it's good for you or bad for you. I love it, and so I'm going to drink it. And if we ever land on, you know, I might change, but, but we just don't know from one week to the next if it's going to be good or bad, and so I'm going to drink coffee. But when you think about the idea that maybe sometimes we've been deceived in some ways or we've believed things that weren't true, the effect on us is we become skeptical. We accept very little at face value. When we watch a news story today, we don't believe it simply because it's on the TV. We don't believe it simply because it's on the internet. We hear the news and then we're asking, okay, well, what have they not told us? What is the rest of the story? What's going to come out yet, you know, next that we haven't yet found out about? We assume there's something we don't know. Another result is that we now live in a world where rather than regarding truth as something that's absolute, like like our Bible readings talking about the idea that God is truth, rather than living in a world where we accept things as absolute, we live in a world today where many want to regard truth as something that's flexible and changeable, and you can kind of mold it to the situation and... You know, I define truth according to what I want it to be and, and you define truth according to what you want it to be and we respect one another's views because to not respect one another's views might be seen as insensitive or it, it might be seen as intolerant and so a politically correct world becomes I'm okay, you're okay and all of that creates a huge challenge in our efforts to help not only ourselves but to people come to a more accurate understanding of who God is and what God expects of us and, and how to have a relationship with Him. Because according to God, it's supposed to be completely different. In Psalm 119, and some verses have already been read, but there are several things I want to call your attention to. The second part of verse 142, the Bible says, Your love is truth. Verse 151, "...you are near, O Lord, and all of your commandments are truth." Verse 160, "...the sum of your word is truth." And I want you to notice what, what more closely, the Bible's not saying that your law contains truth. The Bible's not saying that your law is full of some good ideas and suggestions. Rather, your law is truth." And so as we begin noticing some lessons about God, the purpose of this lesson is simply to remind us that that, that God is truth. And from time to time in our world today, we need that reminder. Now, as we start, I want to define some terms. When I talk about truth in this lesson, I'm talking about absolute truth. And one way to, to define that would be with the shape of our earth. Shape of our planet. It's round. And when something's absolutely true, it means it's independently true for all people. doesn't matter whether I know about it, whether I agree with it, recognize it, whatever. It's independently true. Earth is round, and so that's absolutely true. The opposite, though, or the other side of absolute truth, is what we might call relative truth. And to say that something's relatively true means that it might be true for one person and not true for another. And, and perspective enters the discussion here. There are a lot of ways maybe we could illustrate this, but I'll do it this way Ford, Chevy. And you may have an opinion. You may hate them both. You may think that, you may believe absolutely that one is a lot better than the other one. And you can use numbers, you can use statistics to prove that Ford is better than Chevy, and you can use numbers and statistics to prove that Chevy is better than Ford. My experience has been that both of them are man-made and both of them do well at times and both of them fail at times. A lot of it may have to do with what's been passed down in a family tradition. A lot of it may have to do with the perspective of what kind of first experience I had with one or the other. But you see how my belief in which one is better has a lot to do with perspective. That's relative truth. And herein lies the great challenge in our world today. God is over here operating in an arena of of absolute truth. He says things, He defines things that are independently true for all people, whether they know them or, or believe them or regard them, whatever. He's over here in an arena of absolute truth, but we've got a lot of people who are trying to do religion and trying to do a relationship with God in the arena of relative truth, where you mold it and flex it and make it what you want to be. And that's why knowing God and how to have a relationship with Him seemingly is so misunderstood in our world today. And so what are we driving at? Tim Spivey is a preacher out in California. And Tim Spivey said this, and I think it sets up what we want to talk about. He said, more than anything else, what we believe about God will determine how we live. More than anything else, what we believe about God will determine how we live. And I think he's right when he says that, and in the context of him saying it, he was talking to Christians. And let me illustrate this way. You know, even among us as family, think about our approach toward assembling together. Uh, some of us, some of the family, we, some members of the family believe that every time our shepherds see fit to have the doors open, we're going to try to be with the family. Uh, others among the family believe that, hey, if I'm, if I'm with the family once a week, that's good enough. And that this lesson's not about that, but at some base level, wouldn't that seem to suggest that we have some basic differences regarding what we believe about God? And here's the so what of this morning's lesson. What I believe about the God of the Bible will affect the way I live, but what I believe about the God of the Bible has zero effect on truth. Another way to say it, what I believe doesn't alter truth. A third way to say it, my response to, or lack thereof, doesn't change truth. And why is that important? It's important because if I intend to have a relationship with God and maybe to be anchored in truth, what God looks for from me is a positive response to what He said in His Word. My positive response to Him is, is what He says is going to not earn me anything, but that's what provides that relationship. In our remaining time, I want to drill down on this idea that my response and yours does not change truth. And, and we'll try to get through these in, in, in kind of a brief way, but my response, number one, doesn't change truth even when I don't know. If you've got your Bible, you might want to notice Romans chapter 1. Paul is writing there, and he's written about Jews, and he's written about those who aren't Jews, and he's writing about those who suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. But he says, that's not really an excuse. You you can't claim, you don't know. He says, God has revealed Himself. And so in verse 20 of Romans 1, the Bible says, "...for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that they, those who are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, so that they are without excuse." Now what do we always say? We say ignorance is what? Bliss. Is that true? When it comes to the scripture, when it comes to a relationship with God, ignorance isn't bliss. Think about it this way evangelism is important to us because there are people who need to have a relationship with God. We're we're constantly trying to reach out. If ignorance were actually bliss, evangelism would be one of the worst things we could do to people because what we're wanting them to do is to know about how to get out of the sin problem that they have. Ignorance isn't bliss according to Scripture. In Acts 17, Paul is there in Athens. He's on Mars Hill and, and he's, he is troubled in his spirit because he's walking around and he sees that they're worshiping all these various gods. And as he begins to discuss with them... He talks about the unknown God because they are so careful to worship everything. They're worshiping an unknown God in case we've left one out. And so Paul says in verse 23, For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And as he proclaims the God of the Bible, what he in effect also does is he undermines all the false gods that they're worshiping because he begins to explain that the God of the Bible, the God that they don't yet know, is the provider of everything. And so then in verse 30 he says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. There's this idea that it's not okay not to know. For us, we can't properly respond to what we don't know. And so it's important that we learn. Practically speaking, if error were to be taught from this stage, or in your Bible class, would you recognize it? Can I take this Bible, can I take this book, and use it to navigate and to solve life's problems? Number two this morning, my response doesn't change truth even when I don't care. When you think about the scribes and the Pharisees, when you think about Jewish leadership in Jesus' day, wasn't that a great deal of the problem with them? They knew what the law said, and they'd actually add a bunch of things to it that it didn't say, and they wanted to tell you how to live your life, but, but they didn't really care enough about what the law said to change the way they were living. And Jesus said, that just won't work. And so that's why when you get to Matthew chapter 23, the beginning of that chapter, the Bible says, "...then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to His disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore all that they tell you, if they're reading from the law, do and observe. But do not do according to their deeds, for they say things, and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger." See, we were talking some in our Bible class this morning about what we say versus our our actual actions. And and do we show that we love God or do we just say that we love God? And Jesus is saying, "These, these folks, they don't really care about what God wants. They just do what they do to be seen of men. And Jesus said that He's condemning the way they're living life. Today, that may manifest itself... A discussion comes up regarding the Bible, a discussion comes up regarding religious practice, regarding our walk with God, and someone's response may be, I really don't care about that. That's no big deal. That just doesn't matter to me. And I wonder... If it might be possible that in a world that is so full of relativism that we encounter day after day after day, I wonder that maybe, if maybe we've become desensitized to this idea of making sure that we're respecting God's truth. In other words, am I sure based on book and chapter and verse that whatever I'm saying is no big deal? Am I sure based on Scripture that it's no big deal? Or am I saying that it's not a big deal because I don't want it to be a big deal? Because whether I care or not, truth does not change. One of the great values in some of this series, we're going to spend time in the Old Testament because one of the values of the Old Testament is watching God interact with people. And when people earnestly seek God, God always allows Himself to be found. But the person that it never seems to end well for in the Old Testament is the guy who's kind of casual in his approach, who doesn't respect what God says, who doesn't really take into account what God says as he takes action. God's truth doesn't change even when I don't care. Number three, my response doesn't change truth even when I don't agree. You ever found yourself, maybe you read something in Scripture, you're sitting in a Bible class and something's taught, and and it's, it's there in the Bible, it's there in black and white, and for whatever reason, your first gut reaction is, man, I just don't agree with that. How can God have said that? How can God want that? How can God require that? We're human, and sometimes that may be our reaction. 2 Kings chapter 5 is a classic text about not agreeing with God. It's Naaman. It's one of those those stories we learn it as little children. Naaman, he's this leader, uh, commander of the army in Aram, uh, but he's got a problem. He's got leprosy. And so he ends up going to see Elisha, God's prophet. And the Bible ends up saying that Naaman ends up being furious. And Naaman ends up being furious because when he gets to Elisha's house first, Elisha doesn't even come out to see him. Elisha just sends out a messenger. And Elisha provides these instructions where he says, Naaman, what you need to do is go down and dip seven times in the Jordan River. And there in the Bible... In 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 11, as Naaman explains why he's furious, he says, Behold, I thought... And then he says, "You know, I thought he'd wave his hand over me. I thought he'd come out and ask God and wave his hand over the place and make it well. I had a thought about what I thought ought to happen here. Now, I don't agree with this because even if you're going to pick out a river, the Jordan River, it's nasty and there are cleaner rivers we could go to he didn't agree at all. And thankfully, he had an inner circle. There were some guys that had his ear, and they said, you know, if, if, if Elisha had come out and, and through, God through Elisha had asked you to do something great, would you would you not have done that? And, and he's why not just go try what he said to try? And what we find and what we teach our children from a very young age through Naaman is that when we obey God, that's when God is pleased. And then Naaman finds the blessing and Naaman finds the healing when he he obeys. His agreement, his disagreement did not change truth. Ever heard someone react to the Bible by saying, well, that's just not right. I don't agree with that at all. I've been taught something different all my life. In those moments where for whatever reason we're tempted to not agree, if I'm not in agreement with God, I've got to try to remember that God is never the one in the wrong. If I'm disagreeing with God for some reason, I'm the one who needs to change. God is never in the wrong. Finally this morning, number four, My response doesn't change truth even when I'm overcome by the moment and simply not thinking. And I believe Lot's wife is a great case study for this. Genesis chapter 19, God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember this story. The angels of the Lord, they're trying to get Lot and his family out before the cities are destroyed. And so when you get to Genesis 19 beginning in verse 15, you get this. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, "'Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city.' But he hesitated, so the men seized his hand. They're physically removing him, and the hand of his wife, and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. And when they had brought them outside, one said, "'Escape for your life, do not look behind you, and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, or you'll be swept away.'" Well, Lot says, I don't know if I can get to the mountains. And so he kind of of has a discussion, and they decide that if he can get to Zoar, he'll be okay. And so then when you get to verse 23, the Bible says, the sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife from behind him looked back... And she became a pillar of salt. When you read Genesis there, God doesn't give us a trip inside her mind. We don't know what she was thinking. We're not told what caused her to look back. Maybe she didn't know. Maybe she didn't know she wasn't supposed to look back. Am I the only one in the room that ever gets accused of not listening as well as he should, you know. Sometimes she says, "You don't listen to me," you know. And maybe you've heard that. So I don't always listen the way I should. And they were talking a lot, and there's a lot going on. Maybe she didn't hear. Maybe she legitimately did not know, or maybe she didn't care. I mean, you know, how often do you actually get to see God destroy a city? And and there is no way that I'm going to miss that. i have to see that. I mean, I'm going to have a story for my grandchildren. And, you know, the big irony is instead of having a story for her grandchildren, she became a story for not only her grandchildren, but for all of us who are students of the Bible. Maybe she didn't agree. Now... What God has told us to do, He's told us to get out. He's told us to get here to Zoar. Uh, Now, I know it said something about not looking back, but I think what He was really meaning there is that we we need to obey by following through and getting to this other city. Surely He did not mean not to cast a glance over my shoulder because in, in essence I am obeying Him. So maybe she just didn't completely agree with the command. Maybe. And in my mind, probably, she was simply overcome by the moment and just wasn't thinking. That happens to us sometimes. It's a bad situation, it's high emotion, and we stop thinking about God, and we stop thinking about truth, we stop thinking about what He says He wants, and in that moment we make a bad decision. And we end up doing something that we know isn't right. The lesson from Lot's wife, whether it was that she didn't know or she didn't agree or she didn't care, whatever it was, in the end, her response didn't change truth. And in the end, she illustrates that God means what God says. And when I read about Lot's wife, I become thankful all over again for living in 2015, living after the cross when what God's grace and His mercy and His patience mean is that I I actually sometimes look back or sometimes I don't care like I should or sometimes I haven't spent the time in Scripture that I should and thankfully He talks about His grace and His mercy and His patience and He gives me another day so that I can try to walk with Him more closely. I'm thankful that God's response today isn't immediate. And I'm sure you are true, too. In the end, God is truth. Whether I know, whether I care, whether I agree, or whether I simply lose my head, I am responsible. Practically, as we finish up this morning, what does all this mean? My response, my belief, my non-acceptance, whatever it may be, won't change truth. At a most basic level, the earth is round. I don't have to believe that. It just is. God is truth. Uh, for those of you who remember back to the early '90s, you remember a trial. It was one of the first ones that we kind of watched all the way through on television. O.J. Simpson. You remember that one if you're old enough. And see, the the thing is, either O.J. killed his wife and Ron Goldman, or he did not. And the fact that you had one verdict in a criminal trial and another verdict in a civil trial, it doesn't change the fact that either he did or he didn't. And see, when it comes to thinking in concrete terms, we don't always like to do that related to our relationship with God, but I believe we need to get more comfortable in that way. know, either this book that we hold... Or the book that you have pulled up on your electronic device this morning, either this book is from God and it lays out His terms. It lays out what He wants from us. It lays out how to be in relationship with Him. Either it lays all that out and it's from Him or it isn't. And if it does lay those things out, and we talk about the idea that, hey, God promises grace and mercy and all those things, but he doesn't promise those things to those who do not obey the gospel, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. And so then we start talking about, well, what does that mean? See, either baptism for the remission of sins, either that's essential to my salvation, or it is not. It can't be both. And we don't like to think that way. But a God of truth who defines His terms, we've got to learn to be comfortable thinking that way. And yes, I get it. He is going to save us by grace. We earn nothing, but we'd better be doing everything we can to be in His Word and to make sure that we're trying in our own human frail way to follow Him on His terms. Either love is a big deal to Him or it isn't. Either He wants us to love each other and and so that people will know that we belong to Him, or He doesn't. Either heaven is this real place where those who've obeyed the gospel and are saved by the grace of God, that's where those folks are going to go to spend eternity with God, with Jesus forever. Either that's a real place or it isn't. And the Bible talks about a place called hell, a place where those who choose to reject truth, to reject what God says God wants, a place of eternal forever punishment where those who didn't obey, who didn't choose to walk with God, will spend forever. Either that's a real place or it's not. And so in the end, it leaves us with choices to make. In Psalm One nineteen, The psalmist, he illustrates for us how to respond to truth. And that's why I would challenge all of us to spend some time in this beautiful psalm. 140, verse 140, Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. Verse 141, I'm small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Verse 143, Trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet your commandments are my delight. Verse 147, I rise before dawn and cry for your help. I wait for your words. Verse 148 My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Verse 159 Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. And then finally, verse 160 The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Is that how we respond to this book? Loving truth. Not forgetting His precepts. Delighting in His commandments. Hoping in His words. Meditating on His promises. Loving His precepts. Understanding that the sum of His word is truth. Because again, what God looks for, yea, what God demands, is my positive response to Him. Today, as... Bradley gets ready to lead us in the song of invitation. Have you positively responded to God today? Most of us in the room, we're Christians. We've done that. Are we continuing to be focused on the idea that God is truth? Are we doing everything we can to live the way He wants us to live? If you're not here this morning, are you ready to respond to Him in that positive way for the very first time? Are you ready to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins like the Bible talks about as a part of obedience to His gospel. Today, if you have a need, uh, you can let that be known while we stand and while we sing.
2: A love that goes from east to west and runs as deep as it is wide. You know all our hopes. Lord, you know all our fears. And words cannot express the love we feel, but we long for you to hear. So listen to our hearts and hear our spirits sing a song of praise that flows from those you have redeemed. We will use the words we know To tell you what an awesome God you are. But words are not enough to tell you of our love. So listen to our hearts. If words could fall like rain. From these lips of mine. And if I had a thousand years. Lord I would still run out of time. If you listen to my heart. Every beat will say. Thank you for the light. Thank you for the truth, and thank you for the way. So listen to our hearts, and hear our spirits sing. A song of praise that flows from those you have redeemed. use the words we know to tell you what an awesome God you are, but words are not enough to tell you of our love, so listen to our hearts. You may be seated.
3: This morning, uh, Sister Eleanor Taylor wants us to uh, be in prayer for Vian Savon Smith, who is her nephew, and he's on life support at Jackson General uh, Room Hospital, uh, Room 784. That's a Jackson General, Room 784. And certainly we'll be praying for him and, and let us go to heaven a Father in prayer at this time. Our Father in heaven, we pause at this time to, to come before thee in, in prayer and a special request. Sister Eleanor has asked that we pray for, for her nephew, Vian Sophon Smith, who is critically ill at this time. Now, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would, would be with with him, be with his family. We ask you to be with all the doctors and nurses that are tending to him. And, Heavenly Father, we just, uh, in times like these, we so much appreciate what the medical profession has to offer. But, but still, we know, Heavenly Father, that you are in control. You're in control of everything in control of matters like this and and you're all we have to turn to in times like this and we we just pray a special prayer for this young man we pray that you'd be with this family we know how how hard it is on, on family members to to watch their loved ones be uh, so so ill and so sick and and hurting and we we just pray that you'd give them strength and as I was talking to her just momentarily, just a moment ago, for just a few moments, I could see the hurt in her face and and the hurt that she shows. And and I know that this uh, is just the human side of us. We want to help and do everything we can, and sometimes we feel so helpless. But, Lord, we ask that you would be, once again... This shall man be with his family and we pray that you would heal him we pray that he would start improving right away and we just ask you to be with all, all of us we have so many here that are sick uh, that have been mentioned this morning and this special prayer also goes to them and, and you know all their needs and you know the needs of this family that has come forward here just a few moments ago we ask, uh, Heavenly Father, that you look down with your tender, loving mercy and put your healing hand upon this young man and heal him. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
4: was mentioned already Bradley does a good job leading our singing but he also does a lot of announcements for us I appreciate that I do have a few things I want to mention uh, please continue to remember the uh, the Daniels family I'm sure it's been mentioned I wanted to mention it last Sunday but uh, the way we ended worship I didn't get a chance to but um, we just got back from horizons and on the way to horizons a 40 year old woman who was going to be a counselor this week lost her life in an accident, automobile accident. I'm sure that's been mentioned. But She has two young children. and Just remember their family this week. We have a few things going on this week I do want to mention. Um, tonight our girls are going to be going to Miss Sheila Jean's house. Girls 6th through 12th grade, our boys will meet here. We're going to eat and then have a devotional. Um, this Tuesday, our outings with the interns, we're going to go to Tuscumbia. just want to remind you of this. Um, this Thursday, we'll have girls' devos and boys' devos meeting at the church at five. 45, and then this is the one I wanted to mention, Parents Night Out.